You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, this morning as we continue our series in the book of Habakkuk, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been thrown a curveball in life? Have you ever had something that came along that you did not expect that really began to challenge you to the point where you said, God, why? Why? God, why did you allow this to happen? God, what are you doing? I got an email yesterday from a friend, uh, a a fellow pastor. In fact, a pastor's a church, one of our sister churches in Lee, Massachusetts. And uh, he shared me a story that would make any parents uh, just, oh, your stomach just drop right out. He shared a story of a family in their church that just this past week, uh, their daughter, their 19-year-old daughter, was driving home from work. And she had a minor accident, apparently a relatively minor accident, and somehow the car had ended up um, in the middle of the road, you know, just, just stopped dead in its tracks, as it were. And a good Samaritan that was coming by got out to kind of slow everybody else down before, you know, the police could get there and take care of her. Well, another car came along, uh, was driven by a teenager, under the influence, uh, and uh, hit her uh, just at a high speed of rate, uh, she was hurt terribly, uh, went through eight hours of brain surgery right now this morning, is in the hospital, is in a coma, uh, just, you know, praying her brain is swelling, has fever, all of that. 19-year-old daughter, you know, for those of you uh, with kids, young kids, teenagers, even young adults, that's the last thing in the world that you want to see. And the questions that mom and dad, I'm sure, have this morning, and I know, I know the family, um, just, God, why? Why? This was not what we expected to be doing this week. I don't know if they had vacation plans. I don't know what was in their mind. I know the family owns a store there in Lee, a clothing store and some other things as well, wonderful people. So life can throw us some pretty hard curveballs along the way and uh, some pretty big things, whether it's um, losing a loved one, losing a job, miscarriage, divorce, broken relationships, big things, uh, little things. This morning, we're gonna dive in and see how do we handle it when, when God allows a curveball in our life, when God when we don't understand what God is doing, we don't understand the world around us. Another way to look at these kinds of things is, you know, it's pretty easy to look at the world around us like it's just absolutely falling apart and just like, God, where are you? Why, why aren't you showing up and dealing with some of the things that we see, the, whether it be atrocities in the world, um, whether it be some of the, the unraveling of things that are right and good all around us? things that just truly turn our stomach when we see in the news. God, where are you? What do we do when God doesn't make sense to us? Turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. And uh, I want you to know you're not the first person to ask these questions. And I'm grateful that Habakkuk is a prophet. Don't know much about him, um, but he was a prophet of God. And he had those exact same questions. God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. And we're going to see in a minute when God tells him what he's doing, he's like, God, that, 
answer really doesn't make sense. Now I'm even more confused, but read with me first in, in Habakkuk chapter 1. It's on your screen, it should be, if you don't have a Bible in front of you. The Bible says this in Habakkuk 1, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Boy, listen to the voice of a man who's been pouring his heart out to God. God, I've been crying out to you. God, I've been faithful. I'm, I'm praying about this atrocity. God, how long do I continue to pray to you, and yet you're not hearing me? I, I don't see anything happening. Or how long do I cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Habakkuk was a man, a, a prophet who was looking at his country of Israel, and he was, was looking at, in particular, Judah, and he was saying, God, I see violent people in my land. I see people taking advantage of other people, of the poor. God, I, I see things that are not right. It's violence. People are oppressed. They're hurting at the wrongs, at the, the hand of the uh, accuser, the oppressor. And God, you're just sitting there idly quiet, and, and I've been praying, God, how long? And he says in verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? God, I hear what you're telling me. You want me to see, to really know how bad things are. I, God, but you're just sitting around. What am I to make of this, God? Habakkuk was beginning to say, God, you're like aiding and abetting the situation. You've got the ability to fix this. God, you could straighten this out. Habakkuk had situations in his mind, people that he had seen, atrocities that he had known, wrongs that were being done, small scales and big scales. And yet in his mind, God, you must not care. God, you don't, are you not just? What are you, God, what is going on? I don't understand. And the bottom line of that, he says, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The little guy is always getting the shaft, if you will, the, 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 the ungodly, the unrighteous, the wrong, always getting the best of the person who's trying to do right, being taken advantage of. The wicked surround the righteous, and so justice goes forth perverted, twisted, not fully straight and square with the world. You know, Habakkuk, as he looked, cared about the people around him. And I wonder if you and I care about our neighbors and our, our community and the people around us and the, the plight of the world. If we should know anything about Jesus, it's that he cared about people. He cared enough to die on the cross so that they could be forgiven of their sins and of all their wrongs and have their sins covered by his blood that God in heaven could, would forgive. As a person turns from their sins and trusts Jesus, that, that salvation is applied to their soul, if you will. God cares about people and he urges us, commands us to turn around and love people. And Habakkuk was doing that. And the natural thing to do was Habakkuk was saying, God, I can't fix these problems. I'm not president of the country. 
I don't really know how many problems a president really can fix, to be honest with you, but I'm not, I'm not the governor, I'm not the mayor, I'm not a, a, a Supreme Court justice, I'm not a judge, God, I'm, I'm a nobody. So I'm, but I'm praying, God, and I know that I'm talking to you, the highest one in all the land, and yet, God, I don't see anything happening. So I don't know in your life what you have seen that made you stop and wonder, God, what are you doing? I don't, I don't get this. Has God ever you know, directed your life in a way that didn't make sense to you, that seemed like a left-hand turn, that was confusing? Maybe there was something that was horrible happening that was deeply painful in your life that you just, God, this makes no sense. The kind that makes you question the goodness of God, that makes you question the existence of God. God, are you out there? God, are you even real? God, do you really care? God, aren't you good? We all have those kinds of things in our life. So first thing I want you to recognize this morning is it's okay to ask God questions if you're willing to hear the answer. It's okay. In fact, I encourage it. I, I don't know where I learned this, but uh, I can remember even in my bedroom before I was married and, and just asking God, God, I don't understand this. Sometimes it'd be things I didn't understand in the Bible. Sometimes it was other things in life. And I can't tell you, I, I can't think of a time that God did not answer that, those kinds of heartfelt, sincere questions within that next week or that next month. I wasn't asking him questions that were profound questions of the universe. I was just trying to make sense of, of Sean's world, right? You know, I just want to know what's going on in my world. And God just seems to have a nature out of his great, uh, graciousness to do that. Habakkuk asks him those kinds of questions. So it's okay to do that. It's not okay to question God. One thing in God's administration is he doesn't have a quality control officer. He doesn't have anyone coming behind him to make sure that all of his work is up to spec. He doesn't, he doesn't have anyone making sure that he's done things right. He, he does all things right, but Habakkuk kind of had the attitude that said, God, I'm not questioning you, but I do have questions. So I'm curious this morning, how many of you right now this morning have some questions for God in your life, like right now? Just, God, I, I got a few questions I like to ask. All right, well, before we look at this in depth, let me, can I pray for that? I just feel it would be good to pray for you guys and those questions first. Father, I don't know what's on people's minds and hearts. Lord, I can't begin to understand, but you do. And God, I'm grateful that you are a God who's not only out there, but who is here. You are not just a God who's supreme and grand and powerful and ruling this universe somewhere out there. As the, we saw last week, the dust of your feet are the very clouds themselves. But you're a God who is up close, when, especially when we know Jesus is Lord, that you live inside of us. And God, we have questions this morning, and I'm praying for your graciousness to answer those in our heart to the best that we know how. God, we recognize Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to you, that you've given to us all that we need to know and that can know, but there are some things that are just gonna be secrets. Lord, I don't ask that you give us those. Those belong to you. But I do ask, Father, for the questions in the minds and hearts this morning of your people 
that you would speak them to us. And Lord, would you use this message to help address them until you reveal those to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. So I want you to notice the answer first that God gives, gives Habakkuk. Here's God's answer. God says to Habakkuk in verse 5, he says, Look among the nations. He said, all right, stop looking at all the problem. He says, look at the world around you and see and wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Habakkuk, you would not have even guessed this. Here's what I'm doing about the injustice in your country. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. This was another land. They kind of is another kingdom that merged in with the Babylonians. You know, after, after us going through Daniel and now through the old prophets, I mean, we're bumping into Assyrians and Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians and Greece, like all of these major kingdoms in the world. The Chaldeans uh, the Chaldees were another group of people that kind of another little mini kingdom that kind of got absorbed into, the ba into Babylon. And God says, hey, check this people out. I'm raising them up. Now look how he describes them in verse 6. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. They don't have any justice. They don't have any dignity. They don't have any sense of integrity. They are running through the world, conquering the world, uh, just wherever they want to go. He says, I, and he, God says, I am raising them up in verse 6. He says in verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on, hounding and hounding. They come from afar, they fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. And at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. They, you know, the kingdoms the, would have these big tall walls and fortresses. It was common. The cities would have a big wall around it. And they said, who cares? We're just going to bring in enough dirt. We'll bring in the excavators and the backhoes. And if it takes us six months to bring, a, create a ramp, we're going to beat you anyway, and we're going to totally defeat you. Now, that's not very encouraging. Habakkuk says, God, I'm watching the innocent. I'm watching the, the righteous, the godly, who are trying to serve you, be surrounded by ruthless, ungodly Jews in this, these horrible atrocities. God, what are you doing about it? God says, I got it covered. You didn't realize this. I'm not sitting down idly. I'm raising up this other group of people that are going to come in, and they're even more fierce. They're even more ungodly. They're ruthless. They don't have dignity. They don't, they don't have a sense of mercy. They will give no quarter to, the, to the, the victims. And they will come and they will conquer terribly. And Habakkuk says, wait a minute, God. That doesn't seem right to me. Look what he says in verse 12. God, are you not from everlasting? O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O oh Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. O oh, you, O oh God, rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? God, you make no sense to me. 
God, now I'm really confused because you're a righteous God. You're from all of eternity. You're an awesome, holy, and just, infinite God. How in the world can you raise up such a ruthless, vicious people to come and conquer a people that, yeah, they're bad, but they're not that bad. You know, I'm watching. He's, Habakkuk's do, he's weighing the good and the bad. He's like, come on, God. These, the bad people in Israel are like at a five. You know, the good guys are like at a two or three, and I'm watching the bad five people beat up on the two and three, and God, you're bringing in the ten, and you're going to conquer everybody? This makes no sense. How in the world could you allow such atrocities, God? How could you do that? I want you and I to recognize that God is always at work in the world around us, even when it doesn't make sense to us. And God is not obligated to clue you and I into what He is doing. He's not obligated. He owes us nothing, to be perfectly honest with you. And you and I, along the way, need to have a healthy dose of that, God, you're doing stuff in my life, you're allowing stuff in my world that I don't understand. And we'll see in a minute, but God is saying, trust me, trust me. God goes on and tells Habakkuk in chapter 2. He says, in essence, you can read it when you get home. We're not going to take time this morning. But he says, Habakkuk, I see all the stuff that these people are doing. And it's atrocious. And Habakkuk, I'm going to deal with them too. You see, we serve a God, as we talked about last week, who is a just God. He is a righteous God. The world is not fair around us. It never will be. By the way, it is an idealistic, naive thing in the world to think that there could ever be equity and fairness in the world. Sean, are you saying that we should be willing to just assume that and take the privileged role? No, I'm not talking about that at all. But I am saying it is a sinful, messed up, completely dysfunctional, fallen world that will forever have atrocities and things going. However, God is the one constant in this world who will always hold every individual and every kingdom and every entity within that world accountable for their actions, for their behavior, for their speech, for their attitudes, for all the wrongs that are done. All of that, because God is the just God who, if you will, makes everything in the end square with the rest of the world, who makes everything right. That's the God that He is. So for you and for me, the message that I want us to take away as we think about this kind of big kingdom global kind of thing is, is that there are things in your world that make you and I question or try to understand, God, you don't seem fair right now. God, you don't seem right right now to me. God, how could you allow this? God, how could you do that? And what God is telling Habakkuk, as much as what God would tell you and me, oh, I'm not sitting around idly. I'm doing some stuff. You just don't see it. And it's a little above your pay grade right now. God was gracious to Habakkuk and said, hey, he kind of peeled the curtain back and let him see the affairs of the world. But we need to recognize that God is at work. And because of that, God tells Habakkuk down in, in chapter 2, he says, Habakkuk, you need to live by faith. This is the first thing that I want you and I to, to know. If you and I are going to be able to survive as we have... Uh, meet the challenges around us. If when the, the horrible things happen, whether our, car, our kids end up in a life-threatening accident, 
whether or not they're debilitating health issues, whether or not there are relational issues. We, we find ourselves in the middle of a nasty divorce that 10 years, like, would never have thought of that and certainly didn't want that and full of expectations. Or if you start out life thinking it's going to end up this way and you end up somewhere completely different, where, however, all of those expectations, you just say, God, I, what are you doing? This makes no sense. I thought you were a, a loved me. I thought you were a better God than that. God is telling us this morning that you and I need to live by faith. That's what he tells Habakkuk. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, The Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. God says, Habakkuk, get it down. This is going to happen. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. We hate that, don't we? Little kids hate waiting. God says, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And he tells us how to handle it. Verse 4, I'll just go to the bottom part of it. He says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. How do we wait for it? By faith. We're not to be the one who's puffed up in verse 4 that is not righteous and godly. He says, Habakkuk, if you're going to live through this, if you're going to make it through this difficult time, when all of this turmoil and it's eating you up and you're pulled apart and you don't understand things, Habakkuk, you need to step back and be a man of faith. In other words, you need to trust me. You need to trust me. First thing that you do when God doesn't make sense to you, when life doesn't make sense to you, is you need to step back and say, God, I still trust you. I trust you, God. I don't understand you. Faith doesn't always understand. You don't have to understand to have faith. In fact, if you do to understand, you probably don't really have faith. You have understanding. You're living by your little, you know, understanding rather than a faith that believes in the God who does the impossible. We're to live by faith. Faith is the commodity of heaven. Faith is what we're to live by. Our whole life is to be a life of faith. And there's something in us is, is when we trust Christ that early on we take that step of faith and, and trust God to save us and deliver us from our sins. But if we're not careful as we go along in life, we want to stop living by faith. We want to live by sight more. We want to live by what we can see, what we can feel, what we can taste, what we can touch, what we can put our eyes upon. And God says, no, 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 no. I love you too much to let you go into that world. You started this relationship with me by faith. You're going to continue it by faith, and you're going to end it in faith. So we can all expect multiple things in our life that we don't understand, that challenge us, that pushes our even little pea-sized concept of who God is. It makes us think that God doesn't care or is arbitrary or all kinds of things. And God says, you got to trust me. See, God is trying to strengthen our faith in the middle of those moments, in the middle of those situations when you just kind of lose your way and you're kind of lost in your world and don't know what's, what's going on when things don't kind of make sense. A couple of months ago, uh, uh, my kids and I and a couple of you guys, in fact, David and Ken, helped me replace the roof on our house. Uh, we knocked it out in about a week. And uh, the first side went up really, really well and nice and square. If you've ever done roofing, as you lay the shingles, go up the roof, you know, you start from the bottom and work your way up. You want them to look square. You don't want to all of a sudden get to the top and look back like, who did that, you know? And what were they high on when they were, you know, all, all askew and, and strange? And, 
And we got, I mean, we were in the home stretch, just a few feet from the top of the second side, and I was smelling the finish line, and we began checking the distance from where our shingles were to the top of the peak, and, and all of a sudden I'm like, we're two inches off. Like, how did that happen? Where do we, the other side was great. And we're trying, I mean, we looked at it for an hour, Ken looked at it, and we couldn't figure out to save our life. But we kind of, you know, we cheated. So if you go to my roof, you won't see it. You won't have a clue where it is. But later on, I kind of look, Ken, by the way, if you're out here, kind of see over my porch, my roof kind of does drop a little bit there. I think that's where that was. But life gets like that. You get in the middle of it, right? And you're like, wait a minute, something's not right. And you can't quite put your finger on it, and you're trying to figure it out, and you're confused. You don't know where to go and how what you need to do. When that begins to happen, and you got to take a step back and say, okay, God, you are trying to teach me right now to trust you. When the world around me does not make sense, and I don't know if I can take a step because I don't trust the world, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have faith in you. Now, this faith begins through Jesus. Faith, by the way, is only as good as whatever our faith is in. You can have faith in something that's not stable or good, and it will do you no good at all. We bought some scaffolding when we did the, the siding here on the wall and just a couple little short pieces. And if I were to separate that scaffolding by, say, like eight feet and, and, and went to the store and got a little one-by-four little, you know, it's actually three-quarters inches thick piece of wood and put across it, and, uh, and then try to walk across it and say, yeah, I got faith that this will hold me. That's dumb, right? That's dumb. I mean, it would be really dumb if I tried to do it across a tall building. That'd be life-threatening. Like, you would be calling the cops and you're like, hey, our pastor has lost his mind. He needs to be arrested and for his own safety's sake. Faith is only as good as whatever you're putting your faith in. It has to be faithful. See, our faith is in God who created the universe the God who runs this world, the God who loves us and who is perfect and good, that sin has only sent Jesus to die for us, demonstrated sacrificially that He is faithful and worthy of all of our faith. It can be trusted for with our very souls, be trusted with our lives, be trusted with everything. So when you and I face those questions, we don't understand what's going on, we need to take a step back and say, God, I don't understand, I don't get it, but I trust you. I trust you, God. Second thing we need to do is we need to pray for mercy. Habakkuk listens to God's answer again, his answer to his second question. And then look what he says. He says in verse 2 of chapter 3, O Lord, I've heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. I tr tremble, not, not afraid of, I'm, I'm in awe, I'm just overwhelmed. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. You know what Habakkuk is saying? Okay, God, I, I've heard your report. Now I understand. But God, as you're bringing in this other people to come and conquer, God, I know that you're angry at our wrongs and you're going to punish our people. But God, would you remember mercy, please, oh Lord? In the middle of the difficulty, God, would you be merciful? See, God is a God who loves us. He's a God of justice. He will by no means clear the guilty, as we saw last week. But he's also a God that we can pray to and say, Oh, Lord, would you be merciful to me right now? 
When you and I face those situations, it's a time for us to step back. Rather than trying to solve, rather than complaining and bickering, and rather than trying to figure all the other things out and control our situations, we're all control freaks more than we want to admit. We need to trust God, and we need to ask God, God, would you bring mercy? Because God's working in our world, and He's trying to get through to us. You see, those times of questionings and doubts and wonderings are times that God is trying to draw us to Him. It's not that God has turned His back on us. It's actually the opposite. He is trying to get us to come to Him and want us to trust Him more, want us to cry out to Him for, for mercy and for help. So turn to the God who is a merciful God. Third thing that you need to know, that you need to do when you have those times of overwhelming fears and doubts and wonders and what is going on and all of that, not only do you need to have faith, not only do you need to, to, to ask God for mercy, but you need to accept the troubled days before they come, the days of trouble. Look what Habakkuk says. He hears all of this war that's going to come in, and he says this in verse 16. I hear, God, I hear you. I, I understand what you're telling me. And my body trembles. This is out of fear. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness has entered into my bones. God, I'm just, I'm weak as water. My legs tremble beneath me. Now get this. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. God, I see. God, I don't know how we're going to survive as a people. See, Habakkuk knew that when this other people came in and conquered them, that meant war and famine and starvation. Horrible things in wartime. Our, our generation of people in the U.S. don't know what real war is. We only have seen a little bit in movies and other times. We really don't know what that's like. Habakkuk knew. And he knew that then when God's judgment was going to come on those people, because God said, hey, I see all of their atrocities too, and I'm going to deal with them. He knew that was going to be even more war, more atrocities. And it caused him to almost shut down. We would today say he'd be depressed. He had a panic attack. His legs and knees just trembled. He's like, God, I don't know how to even function and go to work now that you've told me things. How do I have hope? God, I don't even know if I should take out a savings plan for my kid to go to college. I don't even know if there's going to be a college around. God, I, his whole world was, was turned on its ear. But he comes to that point and he says, God... I'm going to accept that that day is coming. I accept it. I don't want to, but I accept it. See, you and I have to accept troubled times before they even come. Sean, are you trying to say that we need to be, you know, doomsday, that the world's going to be horrible for us? No, I'm not saying that. But you need to accept that you're going to have some really difficult things that happen in your life. And the sooner you accept that, the better. And you need to get to the point where you say, but God, I have hope in the middle of that, and I'll talk more about this in a second, because you're in the middle of that future too. So accept the difficult days that are coming. The things that are around us will cause that. Now, let me be just frank and real with you. We've looked at enough of these Old Testament kingdoms through the book of Daniel and through all of these. There's not a, one of these nations that is standing today the way that it stood then. 
And every one of these, God says, I'm going to judge. I'm going to deal with. Can I tell you, God eventually is going to do that with America, with the U.S.? We're not untouchable, guys. Our world's not untouchable today. I don't know what that future is. I'm not speaking against our country. I love the U.S. I don't care who's in office, liberal or conservative, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green Party, Libertarian, whatever other groups out there that I can't think of in the moment. It doesn't matter. God sees all the injustices in the world. He sees all of the garbage that's going on in our country. I don't mean just politically in Washington. I'm not playing that card. I mean just across the board in business world and just everything. And make no mistake, God is not afraid to allow horrible things to happen to our country generally and for you and I to experience those atrocities. Likewise, on a personal level, God's not afraid to deal with the sin of people around you in some really painful ways, in ways that affects you too. And they're days of trouble. So don't be depressed. Don't be discouraged. I'm actually trying to help you to deal with that reality. But get to the point to where, as we'll see in just a minute, to, to have a joy, and to have a hope, and to have a future in the middle of that. So as you have these questions in your life, and as things come in the future of your world that really rock your foundation really hard, it's a time for you to trust God. It's a time for you to accept difficult things before they ever happen, which means if you do accept it before it happens, it means you're going to accept it when it happens. Pray for mercy. Fourth and fifth things, very simple but very profound. Find your joy in God alone and find your hope in God alone. Look at the end of the story. Here's where her back it gets, gets to. He says in verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, the great I am, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Here's what Habakkuk says. He says, guys, if all the, the crops and the trees, the fig trees all fail, if the olive, they use olive for oil, they burn their lanterns by it, they could sell it, it was a commodity, they would use it much like we would butter or today in, 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 with a food source. Though all of our... our our sheep and our oxen, and though they're literally, though we are completely wiped out in a complete famine. Today, it would be like, I don't care if every grocery store in New York State shuts down and there is no food and nobody can grow their own food on their own. He says, if it gets as bad as it possibly could be, I'm still going to be a person of joy because I'm going to find my joy in you, God. You see, God is the only thing that's untouchable. If you find your joy in anything in this world besides God, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're going to face great disappointments in life. God in heaven is the one thing in this world that we can find our joy in daily and that we should find our joy in. 
You see, as Habakkuk faced bleak, horrible situations, situations of, that for us would put us all in therapy and a medication and all kinds of things, he said, but I'm going to stay glued together because God, my joy is in you. I know you're in the middle of this bleak future picture. The world's not bleak because you're in the middle of that picture. God, I'm going to have an incredible joy in you. I'm going to be excited to get up tomorrow and see my family. I'm going to have a, a, a joy in my life that even if things get as bad as I could possibly envision, God, because of you, I can have incredible joy in my life. Where do you turn when you're looking, needing joy? When you need encouragement? Where do you turn? You can tell a lot about what's important to a person by what we turn to. Let's be honest, sometimes we turn to various things when we're down and looking for hope. Sometimes we turn to the remote control. Sometimes we turn to the, the mouse on the computer. Sometimes we turn to food. Sometimes we turn to shopping, pull out the credit card, feel good because I get something nice to drive. And all the while we're looking for joy. And really what we turn to is our, our gods, the things that are most viable to us. And what we're really looking for is joy. And Habakkuk says, you know what I'm going to turn to? I'm going to turn to God in heaven. Because, by the way, none of that stuff produces joy, right? It all goes away. It might be fun for a minute, but that's about all that lasts. And then reality hits. So find your joy in the Lord. The Bible is really specific here. In Him, He alone should be our joy. So I'm asking you this morning, what are you finding your joy in today? Your world's not falling apart as much as Habakkuk was picturing. But where's your joy today? You see, our joy should be in the Lord through the good times and the bad. It should be in Him all the time. Every morning, God, my joy today is in You. When your joy is in God every day, you can face all the little annoyances of life. You can face all the big things of life. Why? Because God is your joy. And God, then lastly, is your hope. He says to God, He says, God... He's praying to God, the Lord is my strength. You and I would be without strength if we woke up tomorrow and somehow there was a shortage of everything and there was somehow a blockade and, I don't know, pick something crazy. Martians came down and sucked up all the food off the planet Earth and we were like, what do we do? We don't even know how we're going to live the week. I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to do. Habakkuk says, God's my strength. I'm empowered. I'm not a victim. I'm not weakling. God's my strength. He makes me like the, my, makes my feet like the deer. Never seen a deer just run and bound. They can run through the woods and hop over obstacles. Amazing. He makes me tread on my high places. I don't know if you've ever seen goats. Goats always like to climb, but there's some videos you can look them up on YouTube. But wild goats, I mean, they can climb up. It's like a straight wall. Rock climbers would probably have ropes out, you know, to, to scale this. And they can just, the smallest little things. I don't know how they do it with their hooves. They're amazing. But he says, God, I, you're, I'm empowered by you. You're my strength. Here's what, I, what Habakkuk's doing. He says, God, when that day comes, I'm going to have strength because... Habakkuk could look to his future and know that he wasn't going to be a place. He was never going to be in a place where he was the, the victim and helpless. He says, God, no matter what comes, I've got strength in that day. Because of that, he had hope today. 
He didn't have to worry today about tomorrow, to be afraid, to have fear, to have insecurities, to wonder how this was all going to work. He trusted in God and said, God, you're going to give me the ability. I don't know how I'm going to do all of that, God. I don't even know how I'm going to eat. But God, I trust you. And he had hope today because his tomorrow was absolutely secure. God, if we know, guys, if we know anything about God, he is a God who is able. When he led the Jews million plus into the wilderness, he fed them, rained food out of the sky, manna. Jesus, if he told us anything when he fed the 5,000 and took two loaves, or, or uh, five loaves and two fish, right? Have I got that backwards? Sometimes when you're talking, you get a little turned around. You know the story, what I'm talking about. You can go straighten out my bad theology later. But he took those things and he multiplied and he fed the 5,000, probably 10,000 people that day. When it was Elijah, and there was a famine in the land through the, the prophecy of Elijah, and there was no food, God said, Elijah, I want you to go down this little brook. It's a little place. It's out of the way. You're going to be safe there. A little brook called Chenereth. And Elijah, I'm going to send a raven, and he's going to bring food to you. You're going to drink from the brook, and you're going to get from that raven. Elijah, I got you covered. And Elijah's sitting there day after day, and he watched the brook slowly dry up. And we don't see Elijah saying, oh, no, what am I going to do now? I need plan B. He just trusted God that when that time came that he was going to be taken care of, that he was going to be strengthened, that everything was good. Guys, I want to tell you, we serve a God that we can tr almost blindly trust. I say almost because God doesn't want us to blindly do anything. We don't trust God with blinders on and just, you know, walk around like crazy people. We read the Bible and we see what God has done. And we look in other people's lives and we look at our own lives and it's not blindly following him, it's just truly following him. Just saying, God, I don't see how you're going to do it, but I see that you will do it. And God, I trust you. I trust you more than my circumstances. I find joy in you rather than in my world, than all the things that I would find joy in. House and car and clothes and jobs and retirement and whatever. God, my joy, my real abiding joy is in that. It's in you. It's in you, Lord. So this morning, I don't know what questions you're facing. I'm sure that I have not answered them. But I believe we serve a God who can should he choose to. And if it's in your best interest for you to have that answer, he will absolutely give it to you if you're willing to listen and you're willing to follow and obey. Habakkuk said, God, why aren't you answering the issues of evil in my world? He was broken, upset, discouraged. And by the end of the answer, he says, God, I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm going to shut up. And I'm going to trust you. And my joy is in you. God put wind in his sails and lifted his wings because he knew that no matter how bleak the world was around him, that what would happen, that there was a God in heaven that he could depend upon. This morning, that's what God wants you to do in your own world too, to trust him to take that step of faith. For some of you this morning, it may be a step of salvation. It may be that, that you've never really put your trust in Jesus as Lord of your life. 
I want you to realize if you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in other things, religion, being a part of a particular church or denomination, or if you've really just thought, you know, if I'm a good person, it's all going to work out, you're mistaken. That's, that's faith in a little board that's going to fall apart when you step on it. I took my car in to get, uh, see if it could get it fixed. The, uh, I've got an 07 Ford Fusion, and it's a California car. I did not know this, but if you have a California car, that New York, California, and Maine are the three states that have special catalytic converters, because we're special. And, uh, and if you have one of those cars, it's illegal to put a regular catalytic converter on those cars. Well, can you guess what mine is? It is a California car. And they no longer make catalytic converters for that year car. So bottom line, I, they make normal ones, but not for a California car, you know? So apparently I have a really special car. A long story short, as I was talking with my, my, the mechanic, he said, I he said, I'd rather get a DUI ticket than I would put an illegal catalytic converter on. It's that bad in New York. And I said, well, and I asked him, what are my options? And I, I kind of took this off the table. I said, look, I'm not going to do anything that's shady or irresponsible. I said, I fear God more than the governor, more than whoever's in charge of DOT. And if I have to junk the car, junk the car. And here's what he told me. He said, you know, my dad was a, a minister. I didn't know this, which was really cool. By the way, you should drop God in the conversations more. You really can learn and grow and have opportunities to share. And he said, uh, he said, I was just always taught if you do right, it'll come back around to you. And so just always do right. And I thought to him, I said, you know, that sounds like a good, I, I didn't say this, but I thought to myself, that sounds like a good philosophy, but that's not really the way the world works. God straightens things out for sure. But you and I just having a faith and a trust that, you know, everything's going to be good or that we're a good person and it's all going to work out with God and that we're a religious person and we've prayed and we've done all these things. That doesn't save our soul, guys. It doesn't. You have to come to that place where you say, God, I realize that I've offended you. I realize I deserve punishment. God, I trust you to save me. I've become convinced over the years the hardest person to really put their trust in Jesus is somebody who's been deeply a victim of somebody else because they see themselves as not having done anything wrong. And we've all been victimized by somebody, but we're also all the perpetrators too. We all have wronged somebody else. I don't care how bad something has been done to you in the past, you're just as guilty in other areas of your life for other people. And you have to trust Jesus for your own stuff. God will deal with the junk from other people. They're going to either pay for themselves eternally or they will trust Jesus. But you need to trust Jesus for that, all of that guilt and shame and punishment to be transferred from Jesus. When you put your surrender your life to him as boss and Lord of your life, trusting that he died on the cross for you to pay for those sins, all of the guilt and shame get transferred from your account to Jesus' account. And God puts all of the blame and guilt and shame on him, and you are free and clear to go. So some of you this morning, to take that step of faith, you need to do that simple thing. For some of you, you've been religious all of your life and gone to church and believe in God, but you've never really just taken that one little step. You were like, I mean, you were just right there. 
but you just need to simply say, God, I want to do that this morning. I challenge you. You don't need to do anything special with me. You just need to, as we, I'm going to bring our music team up in just a minute, just say, God, I want to do that. I, I, I don't want to be responsible for my sin. I trust Jesus. God, would you save me? I believe that Jesus died for me. That simple step of faith forgives you. For others of you, if you've done that so long ago, maybe you've got things and questions in your life that God is simply saying, I'm not going to give you the answer, but do you trust me? Do you really trust me? Do you trust me for the atrocities that you see? Do you trust me for the wrongs that you are enduring? Do you really trust me? Are you really finding your joy in me? Are you really looking to me? Are you finding hope in me? You see, when our world comes unglued, it really shows where our hope is, our joy. It shows us where our focus is. And it very well may be that God is just trying to put your focus on Him and He's using some bad things in your life or other things around you to draw you to that. But are you turning to Him? So as our team comes up, this is a response time for you to whatever God is kind of whispering in your heart and soul, respond to that. Respond to Him in faith. Take that steps and ask Him to work in your life. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank You for Your grace and salvation, Your love and forgiveness. God, I pray that we would be like Habakkuk, that we would come to the place where we are maybe have been troubled by all these things in our life, but we land in that place of peace and joy and hope, not because circumstances have changed, but simply because we are now trusting you in the middle of those circumstances. Lord, I know there's people here that need encouragement, that need hope. I pray for them, Father. I pray that you would help them turn to you and to find that in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.